Good morning again, Hope. My name is Eli. I'm the discipleship minister here at our Ankeny campus, and I have a confession to make. I am exceptionally terrible at New Year's resolutions. I might be the only one in here, I don't know, but I'm just bad at it. Most of the years, I just don't even bother with it. Uh, the years I've tried something to resolve to do anything, I think maybe once I was moderately successful, but I feel like I'm in good company. Uh, research has shown that 80% of New Year's resolutions fail by February, so we'll see how this year goes. Maybe it'll be a little bit different for me, I don't know. Uh, but that's the time of year we're in, right? We're evaluating last year. We're asking, how did it go for me? What, what have I done? How am I different from the beginning of 2018 until now? Are there things that I still want to address? How do I want to live or be different in 2019? And this is also a time for me when uh, I, I've gotten into the habit of reviewing my prayer journals. I've been keeping uh, prayer journals every, ever since I started full-time ministry back in 2008. Um, so I've got a few of them stacked up by now. And, and I like to, at the end of the year, go back and review um, what was I praying for this time last year. And, and maybe even five years ago, ten years ago. Uh, just to be able to see, first of all, are there things that God has actually answered, done in my life that I need to give thanks for, be thankful for that I've just forgotten about, the ways that God has answered prayers. But also, I, I'm curious to see, am I still praying for those, those same quirks or idiosyncrasies or sins that I was praying about eight years ago, and I still just haven't gotten around to addressing it. And so that's what I was up to this last week. And I, I noticed as I was doing that, that the, the prayers, the resolutions, even some of the things that I, I vowed to God that I was going to do, the ones that were about me specifically, about the things that I was going to do better or the things that I was going to change for and in myself, those weren't as successful. Those didn't bear as much fruit as the prayers or resolutions that I made for other people outside of myself. That in some roundabout way that the resolutions I made for other people or the prayers I prayed for other people came back to me in a way that being directly selfish about my prayer life and my resolutions didn't. And so I looked up what were the top 2018 New Year's resolutions, and maybe some of these were yours this last year, top of the list to enjoy life to the fullest. I'm not really sure how you resolved to do that, but if you did, um, let me know how it went. 30% live a healthier lifestyle, that's got to be the top of the list every year. Pay down debt, save more, spend less, spend time with family and friends, increase my income. And, and for the most part, those are selfish resolutions. Those are me doing something for my life to make my life better and to improve the way I am, who I am, and what I'm doing. We tend to treat this time of year that way. Uh, even Christmas time, the, the Christmas day, holiday, we, we approach with that sort of attitude, what, what will I get out of Christmas this year? Not, not in a material sense necessarily, but spiritually, personally, emotionally, what are the feelings that I'm going to, to get from Christmas? What are the ways that I'm going to approach this Christmas day and, and have it make my life better. And, and I'm not saying that there are things wrong with that. You, you absolutely will get something out of Christmas. But I feel like we approach that holiday so much from the fact that it happened one time. We, we look at Christmas as a, as a unique one-time event. And we look past why it happened. Why Christmas happened at all. And what will it have to say if we approach the Christmas attitude, the miracle of Jesus' birth from the standpoint of, of what will it tell me about next year, about how I'm to live my life. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Not just that Christmas happened, but why. Why Christmas had to happen at all. And that's where we're going to go today. The clip we watched was from a, a relatively recent movie called The Letters. The Letters, it, it, it came out a couple of years ago, and it, it tells the story of Mother Teresa's life. And there have been a couple of other movies already made about Mother Teresa, biographies and things like that. Uh, this one took a little bit of a different perspective on her life. After she passed away, 
uh, it, it turned out that they found letters that she had been writing for years, decades, back and forth to different priests and people she called her spiritual mentors, spiritual leaders. And she would be writing back and forth to these leaders, asking their advice, their wisdom, and their input. Uh, one in particular, a priest in India named Celeste Van Exum. And, and she would write very clearly and specifically about her doubts, her insecurities, her fears, the tremendous loneliness that she experienced. And, and it provides this great window into the inner life of a woman for, for many of us, myself especially, consider a spiritual hero to discover that she was an ordinary person. A person who, like many of us, experienced doubt. Doubts about the, the existence of God and her faith and if she, what she was doing was right and if God still loved her and the loneliness that came from the type of ministry that she was involved in with the poor. And, and she actually wanted these letters to be destroyed after her death, not because she was embarrassed by those feelings. She was very open about them. Uh, but she didn't want people, after the fact, to read her letters and then be put off from ministry, put off from service. That if, if Mother Teresa had it so rough, I probably can't do it either. And she didn't want that for people. She didn't want people paying attention to her. Now, thankfully, the priests that she was writing back and forth to, they saved those letters. You can read them. Uh, and again, they are a tremendous glimpse into the reality of, of a person who was not, was not a special person, was not a super spiritual person. She was a person just like you and me, full of doubts and insecurities that pressed into listening to God's voice and doing the things that he was calling her to do. And so that's the approach that this film takes about her life. And, and she had a tremendous life, an amazing story. She was born in 1910. The place that she was born was, uh, it's changed a lot geopolitically over the years in the last hundred years. Today, it's modern day Serbia, the country of Serbia. Back then, it was part of just the, the large Ottoman Empire um, before World War I. If you picture the map of Europe, the continent of Europe, Greece kind of dips back down below it. Serbia is just north of that in that Albania, Hungary region. That's where she was from. And at 19, she knew she wanted to be a missionary to India. Other missionaries had come through her church where she worshipped as a young girl. And she heard their stories and she felt like God was calling her to do the same thing. But in order to be a missionary as a young girl at that time, the only way to do that was to enter a convent and be a nun positioned over somewhere overseas. So that's what she decided to do. At 19, she traveled to Ireland where, where she was trained, learned the language that she would be speaking in India. At the end of her life, she was fluent in five different languages. And then at the age of 21, she went down to India in Calcutta and took her vows as a part of the Loreto Order. Uh, which was a school, a school for young girls. And so she taught for the next 20 years of her life, taught as this, at this school. She eventually became the principal of this school. And by, by many accounts, she was successful in that vocation as a teacher, as a principal, uh, caring for young girls, uh, privileged girls who could afford education would be sent there. Uh, as a cloistered nun, she wasn't allowed to leave the walls of the convent. But God began tapping on her shoulder after so long serving in this context and, and doing what she was doing, she could see right out the window of her own classroom people actively starving to death on the other side of the walls of the convent. This was a violent time in the, in the history of India. They were gaining their independence from Great Britain, and so India and Pakistan, were, there were riots going on in Calcutta over these, the development of these new countries, and so she was witnessing that violence. People would actively die in the streets and then just be carted off. There was no system for, um, for, for the ways people could end their life with dignity, which was actually became a big part of Mother Teresa's mission in her lifetime. 
So she's seeing all this and she's feeling like God is, is prodding her, pushing her, asking her to do something different. And, and she begins this stage of her life where she is listening for God's voice. And again, you heard in that clip, I will listen for what God tells me to do. And that's her approach to ministry. And, and so she takes this annual retreat, something that they did every year in this ministry. And, and, and on the train that she's on, she feels like she hears God's voice and she describes it as a call within a call. That she's still called to be a nun, a part of the church, but she wants to pursue serving people in the poorest of the poor sections of Calcutta. And she goes through the process of making that happen. Let's take a look. Your Eminence, there are a number of items that I'd like to go over with you today. But first, I would like to discuss the matter concerning one of our nuns of our Loretta Order, the principal of the convent school, St. Mary's. Her name is Sister Teresa, and she is seeking permission to go outside of the convent walls to give help to the poor, or as she calls it, serve the poor. It is a matter that was brought to my attention by the convent's mother, Jenny. Sister Teresa says that she heard the voice of God telling her to follow Christ into the slums. Has she said anything like this before? No, Your Eminence. She is one of the most respected teachers at the school. She just feels that she has to follow the command of the voice she heard, that of God. She feels it is a second calling. She would not question ecclesiastical authority and has been waiting without complaint for me to speak to you and get the church's decision. And she knows that nuns, once cloistered, cannot be allowed to leave the convent. Yes, Your Eminence, which is why she's seeking exclaustration. Have her write a letter to the Holy Father. Bring that letter to me. She has already written a letter, Your Eminence. I have given my blessing, and the Mother General gave her permission to write to Rome. Father, Pope Pius XII, Rome, Italy. I have a vocation. God has called me to give up all and to surrender myself to him in the service of the poorest of the poor in the slums. Please allow me to be released from my vows so that I may pursue my vocation. Sister Teresa, Loreto Entelli, Calcutta, India. the next time somebody sends me a letter, I'm going to have somebody else go out and just walk across the room to hand it to me. That was, that was neat. Uh, so so she, she hears the voice of God. And she describes it as not an audible voice. She didn't say she heard somebody talking to her, but she felt in her heart, in her soul, that God was asking her to do something more with where she was, that, that she was actually living a life of relative privilege. Uh, in, in the midst of all the chaos that was around this little convent, she had security, she had food, she had comfort, and God was calling her to step outside of that into something more 
into something different. And, and she follows that voice. And, and, and I think that's what came to mind as I was reading our scripture reading for today. Two characters in the Bible, a part of Jesus' birth, that, that don't get a lot of press but are there for a reason. That the Bible writers put their char- these, these two people in the Bible for a reason. Because it, again, it answers that question, why Christmas happened? What do we have as a result of Jesus coming to earth? And it's in Simeon and, and Anna a little bit later in Luke chapter 2. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. And once he's in the temple, he he sees the baby Jesus. So eight days after his birth, Mary and Joseph go to Jerusalem to have Jesus dedicated as a part of Jewish law and custom. And, And this is where the Holy Spirit just says to Simeon, go inside the temple today. And there he sees the culmination of the promise that God had given him, simply that you won't die until you see the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Son of God. Anna is there also. She's a prophetess who never left the temple. She prayed and fasted daily in there, again, waiting for the coming king, the son of God, who would come and set them free. And she celebrates what's happening there. And the only reason these two people are in the story of Jesus' birth is to show us, the readers, that because of Jesus coming to earth, we have access to the voice of God. That he, through his Holy Spirit, will speak to you about your life and the things that he's calling you to do. And as I review my prayers and, and, and the, the activity that I want, I want to be able to say that if, if the Spirit tells me to do something, that I'm willing to do it, that I will step out in faith to do that thing. I want that to be a part of my life. But as I review my past resolutions, my past prayers, what I see is simply a lack of self-discipline that, that keeps me on that track. That I, I, I simply don't have the willpower enough to see it all the way through. That even if I hear the voice of God, I might stumble and fall because I simply don't have that kind of self-discipline that it requires. And I want that. So, so that's what I'm thinking about when I, when I put these two, these, these people together. Mother Teresa, Simeon, Anna, these people who listen to the voice of God and they do what he says. And I want to be like that. And so on the next slide, you'll see that, that the way the Bible actually talks about self-discipline is not something that you can will yourself into. That maybe that's what you're thinking about for 2019. You want to be a more disciplined person. And the Bible actually says in Galatians chapter 5 that you can't just will yourself into self-discipline. That's not how it works. It's actually a fruit of the Spirit, something that God has to give you, not that you can get for yourself. That in order to be a more disciplined person, you actually have to press into your relationship with God. And maybe discipline isn't where it's at for you this year. Maybe you've got that down Good job. But you're looking for other things. You know, the other fruits of the Spirit that Galatians 5 talks about. Maybe 2019 you would love more peace in your life. More joy in your life. You'd like to be a more patient person. A more kind person. A more faithful person. Those fruits of the Spirit that Galatians 5 talks about, they can only come from God. Those are things that only God can bring into your life. They're things that you can't just, you can't just say, I'm going to be a more loving person today. It doesn't work that way. I'm going to be a more disciplined person. It's not how it works. The Bible tells us that those are things that God can give you if you learn to listen to him, to follow him. It says this in 5.16, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And it doesn't actually go into how to do that. So when, when it just says, listen to God, let the Holy Spirit guide you, and then it says, if you do that, you'll get the fruits of the Spirit. I need more information than that. I don't feel like that's enough for me to go on. So what else does the Bible have to say about listening to God's voice? 
Proverbs 3, 6, this is the message translation. I like the way it puts it. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He is the one who will keep you on track. So to explore this a little bit, we're going to do a quick experiment. Uh, I need you to partner up. Just whoever you're sitting next to, left, right, doesn't matter. Uh, maybe you're by yourself. Just squeeze in close, find a new neighbor. Uh, and I want you to share in 15 seconds, just with the person sitting next to you, what is your favorite Christmas movie? The one that you have to watch every single year without fail. Go ahead, 15 seconds, your favorite Christmas movie. Go for it, share. Getting them favorite Christmas movies. All right. Now, now I need a volunteer. I need some audience participation. Somebody who's willing, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. Just somebody who's willing to volunteer. Um, you're not going to volunteer, but I'm going to pick on you anyway. I'm going to pick on Natalie and Trevor. Natalie babysat for me last night, so I know she won't be too put off by this. Okay, so share your name. Uh, my name is Natalie. And? Trevor. All right, so Natalie, what's Trevor's favorite movie? Christmas movie? Uh, well, he said a Christmas story. Okay, yeah. She's a Arthur's favorite. Arthur's Perfect, perfect Christmas. Christmas. Arthur's Perfect Christmas. I have never seen Arthur's Perfect Christmas. I'll have to watch it. Okay, I'll watch it next year. Okay, so I have one more question for you. What was his favorite Christmas movie? I did not actually ask. What was your favorite Christmas movie? Well, it's either National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation yes. or Elf. Okay, yes. Awesome. All right. Thank, give them a hand. Give them a hand for helping us out. Thanks, everybody. So this is actually a phenomenon that audiologists study. Uh, even though Natalie and Trevor were relatively the same distance away from the gentleman sitting behind... I didn't catch your name. I'm sorry. Peter, they were, they were pretty close to him. The same distance as the person sitting behind you is the same as sitting next to you. And yet they were only able to hear each other. And, and this is a phenomenon that audiologists call the cocktail effect. Cocktail parties that some of you might be attending for New Year's Eve. That sounds like a lot of noise to me, but some of you are going to have a lot of fun with it. Uh, and there will be a lot of volume, noise, conversations, music happening around. And your mind is actually able to focus your hearing Two different parts of your body, your ears and your mind, are working together to focus your hearing on the sound that you want to hear, the conversation that you're having. Our brains actually are able to do that. And imagine if they couldn't. Imagine if, if, the same, if you were trying to listen to somebody, but the person behind you, next to you, across the room, you all just took it in as the same input at the same level. It would be impossible to have a conversation at all or to socialize at all, but God has made your mind in such a way that it's able to selectively hear the voice you're trying to pay attention to. And Jesus actually teaches about this when he's talking about how to listen to God. How to pay attention for that one voice amidst all of the noise. I'm sorry, Peter, your voice isn't noise. That's really terrible of me to say. All the other voices, the, the sound surrounding us, you're able to pick that out. And this is what Jesus has to say in John chapter 10. Let's go to the next slide. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this fold. I must bring them also. And let's read this last line together. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. They will listen to my voice. Other translations say they will know my voice. 
And Jesus is actually borrowing something from, from contemporary culture in his day. The way that shepherding worked in Jesus' day was, was pretty interesting. It wasn't, it wasn't economical for one shepherd with their flock to have separate pastures and fields with fences everywhere. They just didn't do that. It wasn't cost effective. It also wasn't safe. So what they would actually do is they would put all of their flocks together into a big group. I guess I don't know what the larger flock would, uh, super flock, I don't know, of sheep. And this even ties into the Christmas story where the, the angels appeared to shepherds, plural, guarding their flocks, plural, by night. It was, it was a lot safer for several flocks, hundreds of sheep to be together, dozens of shepherds to be watching over them, safe from, from predators, from thieves, all that stuff. And that's how they would corral their, their flocks together and work together to keep them all safe. But at some point, a shepherd would need to get their specific sheep out of the larger group for, for sale or whatever they needed to do. And so the way they did that was they actually impressed on the sheep when they were born their voice and a specific call that was unique to them that they would then recognize throughout the course of their life. That as the sheep grew older, they, they learned that call. And they could actually recognize the voice of their shepherd so that if a shepherd needed to get their flock out of the bigger group, all they would have to do is call with their voice and start walking and their sheep would just come out of the flock together. Without coercion, without you know, tagging or pushing or anything, they could just call because the sheep recognized their voice. And that's how Jesus talks about listening to God. That you actually know the voice of God already because it's the voice that's been a part of your existence since God was knitting you together in your mother's womb. That you could hear God's voice speaking to you before you were even born. And you know what it sounds like. But we've, we, we, we've forgotten what it sounds like. We miss it because there's so many other noises around in our lives. So many other things that we're listening to. But if we're able to pay attention, if we focus our hearing on the way that God speaks and what he's saying to us, we actually can hear from God. And I wish I could tell you that there was some, some trick to that or some other way of doing it except for being quiet. Because with all of these other noises, and, and even though you're able to focus your hearing, it's very difficult to learn how to do that unless you spend some time in silence with God, practicing hearing his voice. And this is something that Mother Teresa actually taught uh, the people who were a part of her, of her mission. So a lot of people don't know this, but the, the missionary agency congregation that Mother Teresa started is still going today. It's actually still growing today. Uh, back in 1950, she got permission from the Vatican to start her own congregation in Calcutta uh, called the Missionaries of Charity. And there were maybe only a dozen young women who were nuns and, and other people who were worshiping together. And they started this little congregation. Today, there are over 4,000 nuns who are part of the Missionaries of Charity, operating in a, over 100 countries around the world with, with orphanages and feeding centers and uh, all kinds of great things that are still going on today. And she would personally train these young women how to, how to follow God, discipleship, prayer. And this is what she said about prayer. Silence is the most important element. Souls of prayer are souls of deep silence. We cannot place ourselves directly in the presence of God without forcing ourselves into an inner and outer silence. And, and there's no trick to it. It's just simply practicing being quiet with God, shutting down the other voices for a period of time so that you can listen to him. And I feel like if you're looking into 2019, what would God want from me? There's really no better way than to maybe dedicate a day to just being quiet with him and asking that question, God, what do you want next year to look like for me? And writing down what he might tell you, listening, practicing, just listening in silence to what God has to say for your life in prayer. 
So, so that's listening to God, but there's also this other element that I see in Scripture where it repeatedly talks about walking in the Spirit, walking with Christ, walking with God. And I don't know how that works either. So what does that look like? Again, this is from Galatians. We've already read this verse. It's a different translation. Uh, sometimes the King James is helpful because it's a more literal translation from the original Greek language. It says, Then I say this, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Peripateo in Greek, literally to walk in the spirit. But again, not much more information to go on. Walk in the spirit and you'll get spiritual fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control for me. Uh, walk in the spirit. How do we do that? Again, that, that forces me to look at other passages of scripture that use this same idea of walking with God. The same peripateo idea. It's a Greek word, but it's got Hebrew word, roots that mean to shape your life around or pattern your life after. And in Micah 6.8, this is what uses the exact same language as Galatians. Let's read this together from Micah chapter 6. O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. More and more I'm convinced that the key to walking in the Holy Spirit, to listening to God's voice, is humility. That that might be the key to life with Jesus. A humble life. Having an attitude like Christ. Because again, why Christmas? Look at how Jesus came. That, that he came with absolutely no celebration or fanfare, born in a barn the poorest of the poor, and live that humble lifestyle throughout. This is all over Jesus' teaching, this idea of humility. When he's asked, who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, the least. When he talks about those who, will be, those who mourn and those who are persecuted, they're the ones who will be blessed in the kingdom. That Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and he said, you should go and do the same, to feed my sheep. All of Jesus' teachings surround this idea of having a humble posture towards the world around us. Being more attentive to the needs of other people than to our own needs. And I think Philippians chapter 2 actually describes this perfectly. So writing to the Philippians, Paul says this, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. And that Greek word, uh, eknosen in, in, in that passage, or kenosis in Greek, only occurs this one time in the Bible. And it's a philosophical Greek idea of, of emptying yourself. You'll see some translations use that language. Christ emptied himself of his divine privileges. And it doesn't say that he gave up his divinity. Jesus was still fully God and fully man while he was alive here on earth. But he willfully laid down the, the things that he was owed as God. The, the privileges that he had had for all of eternity. He said, I'm going to lay those down for you. To live a human life. For your benefit, for your sake. And took on the humble position of a slave. And that's our example. Saying you must have the same attitude that Christ have. That we have privileges in our lives. That we might be willing to lay down for the good of other people. Thing, things that we feel owed or have rights to, that, that, we, that make us feel blessed or that do more for us. But in the, in the economy of heaven, Jesus is saying to get the fruit that you want, you might have to give up those things. 
One of Mother Teresa's greatest fears in her life as she gained notoriety for all the things that she was doing was that, that people would be paying attention to her and, and her activity. And so she constantly kept pushing people away from, or push, pushing her fame away from her. Always saying that it's not about me, it's about what God is doing in the lives of these poor people. Please pay attention to them. She received the Nobel Peace Prize. The only way the Nobel Committee could actually get her to come up and to receive it was they, they promised her that she could talk for as long as she wanted about how much help the poor still needed in Calcutta. That was all she talked about in that speech. And you can watch it online. It's a great speech. But she kept pushing people away. She didn't want people to pay attention to her. In humility, she wanted to say, I gave up my privileges. I gave up my notoriety so that other people's lives could be made better. Let's take a look. Nathan, can you hear me? We have a pretty bad connection. I can hear you, Graham. It's the way it always is. Okay, just say when. Go ahead, anytime. This is a somewhat unusual story from what you're used to me reporting, as I am normally on assignment as a war correspondent. But here in Calcutta, there is a growing awareness of a Catholic nun who has been doing charity work with the poor that has caught the attention of everyone from the local municipal authorities here to the Vatican in Rome. The name is Mother Teresa, and she has a growing number of followers in her new congregation known as the Missionaries of Charity, erected just two years ago by the Catholic Church. What's unusual about her is she won't grant me or anyone else an interview, believing that she is an instrument of God in doing his work. She refuses to take any form of credit. To the locals in the poorest sections of the city, she is a saint. But to a certain segment of the Hindu population here, she has come under fire, if not threat, as she has set up a home for the dying in one of their abandoned temples, housing given to her by the local municipal authority. It's getting worse out there. I know. But I don't really think they'll do anything. Come. But do you think we should get word out to the municipal authority? So the connections I see, maybe a progression, is each one of us has a, a need, a desire for what this year will bring for us. Um, maybe for you it is more self-control. Maybe it is love or joy or peace. But the way to get those things isn't simply to will them. It's by walking in the Spirit. And the way that we walk in the Spirit is in humility. Serving other people. Looking out for the needs of other people the way that Jesus did for us giving up our privileges so that other people might be helped and then experiencing that roundabout way of the fruit coming back to us in our lives, receiving love by giving something up. Uh, on your seats when you came in, hopefully you found a note card. Um, we're going to do something here in a little bit. The band is going to play for a little bit. Um, I want to encourage you on this, and it's up to you if you want to participate. It's totally up to you. Um, but right on this, not a New Year's resolution, not something that you're going to do for yourself, but maybe a privilege that you feel like you could give up so that others' lives around you might be improved. What's a privilege that you might lay down 
with the attitude of Jesus Christ to say that this year I'm going to give up this certain thing, this privilege. Um, for you, it might be something financial. It might be your position or your time or your possessions. For me, it might be my, my space. I really hold my space, my privacy dearly, but is that actually helping other people? I don't know. So, so pray about that. Spend some time listening to God here in the next minute or so. Write down on this card. And then I'd like to invite you uh, to lay them at the manger where we have evidence of what Jesus did for us, the way that he laid down his divine privileges for our sake. You can come up and do the same. There's some pens here at the front if you don't have a pen. Um, but let's take a minute or so to pray about these things. And uh, if you feel like you, you want to come up, you're, you're definitely welcome.